As I came up from downstairs this morning, it was nice to see some familiar faces here this morning. Welcome to our uh, college students who are back in town for a few weeks. Uh, hopefully you've had a good uh, uh, semester or experience at college so far, and we're glad to have you back with us uh, this morning. And uh, Look forward to, to seeing you for the next few weeks here at, at Mount Calvary Church. And, and as I uh, prepared uh, this, uh, for this message this morning, I had two real main uh, focuses for my week. Is, first of all, is to, is to be accurate to the text that uh, we're going to look at. And my second main focus was to avoid Pastor Dick at all costs. Because if you remember last week how sick he was, I didn't want that. And so those are my two main focuses. I'm happy to say that I avoided getting sick. He did mend, uh, seem to get Nikki sick, uh, but, uh, but I, I escaped that. And so, so I was feeling pretty good of, uh, of trying to avoid that. So I, uh, but uh, he's feeling better, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that uh, this morning. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, pause and, and go to God in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to pause in our week and to come and meet with you. And Lord, my heart's prayer and and desire for all of us is that we would have come here not not just to see friends and family, but to meet with you. And Lord, as we talk about worship this morning, my My heart's desire is that we would be people who seek to worship you with all of our hearts and all of our lives. Lord, help us to to respond to your greatness with hearts full of gratitude and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we find ourselves right in the middle of the Christmas season, right? It is December 13th, which means it's code red time in preparing for Christmas. I mean, it is time to to get ready, to make sure that you're ready. And as we anticipate and plan and get ready for Christmas this morning, I thought we'd take a little informal poll this morning to see, you know, what, what do you enjoy most about Christmas, this Christmas season that we find ourselves in this morning. And so we're going to take a little informal poll. So first of all, where this morning, where are my Clark Griswolds? You say that you enjoy decorating the most about Christmas. Do we have any of those who love to decorate Christmas. I mean, if ABC's The Great Christmas Light Fight would come to town and they would come to your block, you would win because you have the biggest and brightest decorations of anybody on your block. How many people here really like to decorate? Anybody? We got a few of you. And for those of us who don't like to spend hours stringing up lights and and going through all those hassles and headaches, can I say thank you so much? for those of you who like to decorate, because I do enjoy looking at Christmas decorations. I just don't like doing that. And so thank you so much to you Clark Griswolds who, who enjoy decorating. How about this? Where are my Santa's helpers this morning? The one thing that you like most about Christmas is you like searching and giving gifts to the special people in your life. Where are Santa's helpers that you enjoy giving gifts? And, 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 it's, and it's one of these things where it's just not any gift, but you put a lot of thoughts and energy and effort into giving the right gift for that right person. Well, you know, in order to serve you better 
this morning, some of us would gladly volunteer to give you some other people to shop for ourselves. We'd be happy to receive a gift from you, and so you can see us afterwards, and, and we'd, let you, we'd serve you by allowing you to shop some more this Christmas. How about this? Where are my foodies? How many people here love all the food that comes to, around Christmas? There we go. Let's be honest. We love the Christmas food. We love the Christmas cookies. Yesterday afternoon in my house, sugar cookies were made, and I love sugar cookies. Or we love the Christmas candy. Someone this morning gave me my favorite Christmas candy, the Hershey Peppermint Bark Bells. I love those. I could sit down and eat a whole bag of them at a time. Or how many of you love your mother-in-law's three-layers jello salad? I mean, I love my mother-in-law's three-layer jello salad. Or you love Christmas dinner. And let's be clear about Christmas dinner. Christmas dinner is meant for turkey and all the trimmings not the lame substitute ham. I'm sorry, but it's turkey. And the good news is this year we rotate between my house and, 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 and Dana's parents' house on Christmas, and the good news is we're with my family this year, and we're going to have turkey. And I'm excited about that. But I don't know about you, but uh, let's dismiss right now and just go eat some of that good Christmas goodies, right? Uh, we're hungry now. It's time, it's time to go get something to eat. And, and you know, there's a lot of great things that we love about Christmas, a lot of those things that are important to us, but they're not the most important thing when it comes to Christmas. We know that the most important thing that comes to Christmas is worshiping Jesus. I mean, it's in the Word. Christ is in the Word. It's all about worshiping Him. It's all about centering our focus on Him and, and worshiping Him. That's the most important part of Christmas. We know that in the back of our minds, but sometimes in the midst of the season, it gets lost. It gets lost. And one of the main reasons I think maybe we lose focus is we just get too busy. We just get too busy around the Christmas season. If we're not careful, we'll spend all the Christmas season doing this and rushing here, there, and everywhere. I mean, our kids, it's, Christmas is a time of lists. Our kids make lists of things that they want for Christmas to give to Santa or their grandparents, let's be honest. And, and as adults, we make lists of all the things that we have to do for Christmas, all the things that we need to squeeze into this month. Like, for example, in this one month, we decide to write, or I guess in, in true fashion for this congregation, we tried to, we decide to uh, to put together a Christmas card, a photo card. We have to capture the perfect family picture, put it on a Christmas card, and then send it to everyone on our Christmas list. Whether we like them or not, all the people that we know, we got to send them a card. We do that during this one crazy month of the year. We also decide to redecorate our houses, right? We go up in the attic searching for where we put those decorations the last year and, and trying to search and find them and, and put the Christmas decorations in the perfect place in our house. We redecorate our whole house. We also decide to do the majority of our baking for the year during this month, right? We break out the, the cookie cutters and the baking sheets that have been the back of our cabinets for the whole year and now we decide to use them. We break out those old family recipes, or we, re, or we go online to Pinterest to that Christmas board that we've been pinning to all year long to try to make these amazing baking creations. 
We do most of our baking this year. How about this? We also get together with family that we don't normally do. Some family we've never seen except once a year. And and as we get together, there's that pressure to remember all names and details and and who's doing what and who's living where. And you don't want to look foolish, so you got to try to remember all those names and all these people that we see once a year. And then to make our lives just a little bit easier this month, our kids' schools have special programs that we need to attend. They have parties that they need to help us prepare and plan for. And then to make matters worse, they give them off a week and a half. (laughs) All during this one month that we're trying to do all of these things, and I don't know about you, but just talking about it and thinking about it, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I'm thinking, what... I don't have any time left. I mean, that's sucking up all the time this month. But if we're not careful, we'll blink and we'll be at the end of the Christmas season and we will miss the opportunity to celebrate the real reason for the season, the worship of Jesus. This morning, I want to take some time to travel from a chaotic life of busyness to a life of worship this Christmas season. So, Let's define worship. What, what is worship? What is worship? The English word comes from two old English words, worth and ship. Worthship is the quality of having worth or being worthy. Worship means to attribute worth or declare something valuable. And when we worship God, we're saying he is ultimately worthy and he is extremely valuable to us. He's ultimately worthy and extremely valuable. In the Bible, there are two major kinds of words for worshiping God. Two major kinds of words. The first kind means to bow down, to kneel, to put one's face down as an act of respect or submission. Our body language, our posture says to God, I will do whatever you want me to do. I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to obey. Roughly half the words for worship in the scriptures means this type of submission. It's lowering ourselves in submission. The other half of the words for worship in the Bible means service, to do something for God, to, to make a sacrifice, to obey his instructions. And so worship is recognizing the greatness of God And it's responding by submitting to and serving him with our lives. Worship is recognizing the greatness of God and responding by submitting to and serving him with our lives. Worship simply is submission to and service of God. It's the submission to and the service of God. It's it's recognizing his authority and it's responding with obedience. And worship is something that we should do each and every day and and every month, not just during December and not just on Sunday. So turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 2, and let's look at some of the first worshipers that first Christmas. They're called wise men, and they're going to show us something about worshiping Jesus. Let's follow these magi as they guide us on a journey of worship. Let's look and listen and learn from the wise men five things about worship. And the first thing the magi teach us about worship is this. It starts with a sincere desire. It starts with a sincere desire. 
Verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star and when it rose, when it rose and have come to worship him. Worship starts with a sincere desire. If we don't want to worship, we're not going to worship this morning. It starts with a sincere desire. Two weekends ago, my family and I went to New York City to see the Christmas lights. And, and I remember as a child going to New York City during, around the Christmas holiday with my family. And we'd always enjoy looking at uh, uh, the department store windows all decorated for Christmas and seeing all the Christmas lights and, and, uh, and going to, to uh, Radio City Music Hall to see the Christmas Christmas play there, and, and it was always such a great time, and, and this time, two weeks ago, was the first time Zachary ever went to New York City. Haley had gone twice before with my parents, and all, both times, they didn't want to drag him along for some reason. I, I don't know why, uh, but they thought he was too little, and that he would never want to walk around the whole day with them, and so, and so as we embarked to go to New York City, Zachary, for the first time, he had one desire— to go to the Empire State Building. That was his one desire. So the first day we were in New York City, at about noon, we set out to go to the Empire State Building. And we walked nine miles through crowded sidewalks till we reached the Empire State Building. And the one desire that he had was to get to the top of the Empire State Building. And there are some pictures of him at the top of the Empire State Building. Only him and I went up. And it was, it was great to see his desire came to fruition. You know, he didn't complain about at all walking nine miles through those crowded streets because he had a desire. He wanted to get to the Empire State Building. He wanted to see it for himself. He was, he, he was sincere in his desire and determined to get to the top of the massive skyscraper. You know, aspiration leads to action, doesn't it? Let's look at the Magi. Who were these guys? Where did they come from? Well, according to Matthew 2, and contrary to the popular Christmas carol, We Three Kings... They're not kings, and we don't know how many of them there actually were. Magi are wise men in the ancient world. They were a group of astronomers and astrologers who were wise in interpreting the stars. They, served a, they were a group of priestly magicians combining astronomical observation with astrological uh, speculation. They served in the courts of kings. They were wise political and religious advisors. And it says they came from the east. They came from the east. We're not exactly sure where they came from. Some say Persia, some say Arabia, some say Babylon. And each of those areas would have had a Jewish population there. So they probably would have been familiar with the Jewish religion and, the, and its messianic prophecy. And so that's who these, these stargazers were. They saw a star rise in the sky and they headed to Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, because if they thought it, the king of the Jews was going to be born, they assumed it was going to happen at the capital, right? So they headed out for Jerusalem. Most commentators think that they probably came from Babylon, which would have been a 900-mile journey. Not by flight, not by train, either by camel or walking. It would have taken a long, long time. These wise men saw a star and they started their journey. And simple curiosity wouldn't cause you to go on such a, such a costly journey, such a challenging trip. But a sincere desire 
would lead you to go on this extreme and expensive journey to Jerusalem. They had a sincere desire to see this special king who was born, to be in his presence. They came just not to witness, but to worship. So they set out on this great journey. The wise men saw a star. They started the, their journey, and, 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 and they went to see this king. They went to see the king. They teach us to be passionate, not passive in our pursuit of worship. The wise men's sincere desire and dedication led them on a difficult journey to be in the presence of the Messiah. They wanted to be in his presence. And the same is true today. It takes a sincere desire, it takes dedication to worship Jesus. So before we go any further this morning, can I ask you a personal question? Something I want you to think about. It. What's your desire when it comes to worship? What is your desire? Has this Christmas season been a season of worshiping the Savior? Have you focused on him this Christmas? If, if your desire's been lacking or maybe you've been distracted from worshiping Jesus, fear not because there's still time to passionately pursue the worship of Jesus this season. And to fan the flame of worshiping Christ this season, can I encourage you? Take some time and read Matthew 1 and 2 or Luke 1 and 2 and take note of how Mary and Joseph, how Elizabeth and Zechariah, how the angels and the wise men and the shepherds come and they worship the Christ child. Take note of that. Or maybe as a family, can I encourage you to watch the movie The Nativity Story to kind of fan the flame of your worship at home and this, this depiction of the birth of the Christ child. It's a great movie to watch as a family. And this month, to, uh, to personally kind of expand my worship, I've been reading John Piper's devotional book called Good News of Great Joy. And it's a great time just to focus on the characters around the Christmas story and focusing on the true uh, reason of Christmas. And the other thing I decided to do is that I decided to turn off sports radio while I'm in the car. And instead, I decided to, to, to play some Christmas music. And, and my wife is like amening and saying hallelujah because she hated to drive with me listening to sports radio. But I decided to take that time in the car and really center my focus on Jesus, the reason for the season, to, to listen to music that talks about the real meaning of Christmas, just to reinforce in my own heart and my own life what this season is all about. Because if we're not careful, we can let all the thing that the world makes this season about kind of steal the focus of what this season is all about. The first thing the Magi teach us about worship is it starts with a sincere desire. I have to have a personal passion to praise and worship God. And do I have that this Christmas season? Do you have it this Christmas season? The second thing the wise men teach us about worship is to develop an expectant attitude. Again, back in Matthew 2, in the end of verse 1, it says, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. A sincere desire leads to an attitude of expectation. I don't know about you, but I love the anticipation of children around Christmas, don't you? I remember growing up at home, Christmas was always such a big deal at our house. 
And in my family, we had this rule, the Christmas presents didn't go under the tree until Christmas morning, or technically till we went to bed on Christmas Eve night. And so there was this rule in my house that no one was allowed downstairs until my parents were up. And every, every Christmas Eve, they would tuck us in bed, and they would say, now remember, you can sit at the top steps of the stairs, but you cannot go any further until we're up and ready for you to come down. And you need to understand that in my house, my sister in my bedroom was at, it was at, was at the end of this long wooden hall. It was an old wooden floor, and my parents' bedroom was at the top of the steps at the beginning of that hallway. And my sister and I, we, you know, we were pretty smart. We understood how to navigate that hallway on Saturday mornings when we wanted to sneak downstairs to watch cartoons. We knew what boards to avoid stepping on so we wouldn't wake up our parents. But on Christmas morning, we purposely and repeatedly stepped on every creaky board on that hallway as loud as we could to make as much noise as possible so we could wake our parents up. And why did we do that? Why did we do that? Because we expected an amazing experience waiting for us downstairs. We wanted to go downstairs. We wanted to see the tree. We wanted to open the presents. We had this attitude of expectation. And the Magi from Matthew 2, they're pretty amazing people. They arrive in Jerusalem, and they begin to ask anyone and everyone, where is this child, the one born king of the Jews? Have you seen him? Where can we go to find him? Their long travel didn't temper their expectation. They had no doubt that he had been born, and they want to see him. They want to see him. They expected to find Jesus, and once they found him, they expected to worship They had an expectant attitude. They expected Jesus to show up, so they showed up. They expected Jesus to show up, so they showed up. And whether we realize it or not, we all walk in here this morning with some expectations. Maybe some of us expect a nice morning free from taking care of our kids. Maybe some of us expect for a little nap time. I see you. Maybe some of us come here expect for some, for some good Christmas music. Maybe some of us come here expecting for a short sermon. Maybe some of us come here expected to see family and friends and make some connections. But what's your expectation when you come in here this morning? Have we come here to ex- ex- expecting to worship God? Do we expect to meet with God? Do we pray to for God to open our hearts, to hear his voice, to follow and, and his lead and, and obey his word? What's your expectation this morning as it, result, as it uh, pertains to worship? The wise men, they had an attitude of expectation. And here in Matthew 2, we see some different attitudes of some other people. Look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But to you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. 
As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. Herod had a different attitude, didn't he? He had an attitude of hostility. When he heard the Magi were looking for the king of the Jews, it says he was disturbed. He was greatly distressed. The Magi wanted to welcome and worship King Jesus, but Herod, he was reluctant. He was resistant. Even though he was only half Jewish, the Roman Senate placed him in Judea to rule and gave him the title King of Kings. And he ruled as king for about 30 years. And at the beginning of his rule, he was really skilled in, in combat and politics. But now at the end of his rule, he, was, he became cruel and paranoid. He was only worried about preserving power. He was so paranoid, in fact, that he had his wife and three of his sons executed because he thought they were trying to, to usurp his power, that they, they were trying to overthrow him. So when he heard that the Magi were looking for the Christ child, the true king of the Jews, he responded with hostility. He responded with hostility. Herod recognized Jesus as a threat to his rule, and he responded by having an attitude of anger. And in Matthew 2, 16, we see his anger come to fruition when he ordered all the boys two years old and younger in Bethlehem to be killed. He wanted to assassinate Jesus. He had an attitude of hostility. And the religious leaders had another type of attitude, didn't they? They had an indifferent attitude. The wise men show up into Jerusalem in search of the baby-born king of the Jews. Herod heard about it, and he sent for the religious leaders. He sent for them to come and answer this question, to get more information, to identify who this king was. And, and the religious leaders, with their expert knowledge of the Old Testament, they quickly quoted Micah 5.2, and they told him that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. These professional Bible scholars, these people who had so much biblical knowledge, teachers, they had all the answers, and they didn't act on it. They had all the answers. They didn't do anything about it. When Herod told the wise men that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, they continued their journey. But the religious leaders, they couldn't be inconvenienced to travel six miles to see Jesus. Why? Because they were indifferent. They were apathetic. They had all the right answers, but they didn't do anything with the answer. Their apathy, their apathy and, and, and indifference led to inactivity. And as we look at these characters from Matthew 2, we're not much more different than they are, are we? We're not much different than them. Maybe we showed up here this morning and some of us are hostile like Herod. Maybe some of us are mad that we have parents who make us come to church. Maybe some of us are angry at God that he hasn't answered my prayers. He hasn't arranged the details of my life the way that I desired. We're mad because we lost a loved one. We lost a job. We lost a relationship. God didn't hear my prayers and answer the way that I wanted him to. Maybe some of us are so, here so mad at God that we have rejected him. We're so angry that we've rejected him. Maybe some of us here this morning are indifferent like the religious leaders. We've been apathetically attending church for years. It's just part of the routine. It's just something we do. It's kind of like cruise control. 
It's just part of our routine. We have a lot of biblical information, but we've become indifferent. We're great at attending church, but we're not so great at actively being the church. We haven't rejected God, but we've become, we've become passive. We're not seeking to passionately grow in our relationship with God. We give him whatever time we have left over. An hour on Sunday, maybe two, that's enough. But some of us here this morning are expectant like the Magi. We look forward to, in anticipation to worship our Savior. We look forward to gather together corporately to worship God on Sundays. And we look forward to worshiping him each and every day personally. We recognize God's goodness, his greatness, his, his grace that he's shown us. And we can't help but, but respond each and every day in an attitude of worship. We relish the opportunities to worship him. We love to read his word. We, we love to communicate to him in prayer. We love to sing praises to, to his name. We love to serve him with our lives. We've become expectant. We expectantly look forward to worship, worshiping him, not only on Sunday mornings, but each and every day of our lives. And like the wise men, we need to let expectation energize and prepare our hearts for worship. What are we expecting? when we come to worship him together here on Sunday mornings? What are we expecting when we pause to worship him throughout our day? The third thing the Magi teach us about worship is we need to choose to express joy. Choose to express joy. Going on in verse 9, it says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. See, worship, it starts with a sincere desire, develops an expectant attitude, and it chooses to express joy. Chooses to express joy. And when I think of joy, I think of a scene from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Mr. Scrooge is with the ghost of Christmas present, and he is looking into the, the, the Christmas celebration of his clerk, Bob Cratchit, and his family. And Bob Cratchit and his family, they don't have a whole lot. Mr. Scrooge is really wealthy, but they're struggling to get by. They don't even have enough money to have turkey for Christmas. And, and in this scene, we see Bob and his son, his, his, his sick and crippled son, Tiny Tim, has just come from church, and they've just made this statement, you know, it was good to be in church at Christmas, to remember that Christmas is all about Christ. And Mr. Scrooge looks in, and, and he's so miserable, and, and this family who has each other, they're, they're full of joy. And then at the very end of that scene, we see the epitome of joy when Tiny Tim says the famous words, God bless us, everyone. In spite of their circumstances, he responds in joy. And I don't know about you, but if I was in Tiny Tim's situation, that would have been a challenge to be joyful in that situation. That'd be challenging. I don't think I could have done that because choosing to be joyful to me is sometimes challenging. I'm not naturally an upbeat person. I'm not, you know, you give me half a glass of water, it's definitely always half empty, not half full. I mean, it's a struggle to be joyful at times. I think of people who are joyful, they're, they're these energetic and enthusiastic people who never have a bad day. And because of that perception, I, fail, I feel like I'm a failure at being joyful. 
And you see, the reason I failed at being joyful is because I had a faulty definition of what joy is. And joy is the confidence that God is in control of all the details of my life and the determined choice to praise him in every situation. That's what joy is. It's not based on my feelings. It's not based on my circumstances, but it's based on my confidence in God. My confidence that God is in control and my choice to praise him no matter what. And in our text in Matthew 2, we see the wise men journey. It wasn't quite finished. The religious leaders had answered their question. The one born king of the Jews was born in Bethlehem. And Herod relayed the information to the Magi. And he sent them on their way. And he said, hey, report back to me so I can go and worship them too. And we're told the same star that appeared to them, that, that started their journey, now appeared to them again. And it led them to Bethlehem. It led them to the end of their journey. It stops over the place where the Christ child is. The star reappeared and led them right to Jesus. This was divine direction. This was a heavenly GPS. God provides a star. First instance of GPS ever. They get to Bethlehem, the place where Jesus is. And the the star reappeared to them and led them right to Jesus and... This, this was a big blessing from God, and they couldn't help but be overflowing with joy. They recognized it and responded in joy. After traveling hundreds of miles, numerous months, they arrived at the finish line, and they expressed joy. They couldn't hold it in. They were exploding with joy. They were going to see the Christ child. They were going to worship him. They were all full of joy. They couldn't hold it in. They were shouting with joy. You know, last Sunday, Pastor Dick shared from Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And last week, Pastor Dick said, Hey, this verse shows us four qualities of the Savior. Jesus, as my counselor, reveals God's love for me. Jesus, as the mighty God, reveals his control of all things. Jesus, as the everlasting Father, reveals he keeps his promises. And Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, reveals he has made peace between God and me. And Dick said last week that these four qualities, they give us hope. And not only do they give us hope, but they should cause joy to erupt in our hearts. Because of who Jesus is, we should be the most joyful people. We rejoice in an amazing Savior in spite of the circumstances of our lives. We can't help but rejoice because he's a God who loves us. He's a God who's in control of all things. He's sovereign and powerful. He's a God who who is true and right, and he is a God who brings us peace. And that should fill our hearts with joy. And like the Magi, we need to be persistent in exhibiting joy in our worship. We need to choose to express joy in worship. And walking with the wise men, they teach us a fourth thing about worship. And the fourth thing is we need to decide to humble yourselves. Matthew 2.11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down to worship him. Worship starts with a sincere desire. It develops an expectant attitude. It chooses to express joy, and it decides to humble yourself. What an amazing moment of history when these great men, these three wise men from the east show up in Bethlehem and they bow before a child. 
Now, this was not any ordinary child. It was the Christ child. It was the chosen and anointed one. It was Emmanuel, God with us. And they bent the knee and they bowed in worship because they recognized they were in the presence of someone greater. They were in the presence of someone greater. They lowered themselves because they were in the presence of the high and holy king of the Jews. Not just any king, the son of God, the king of kings, and they bowed in worship to him. And for you and I to truly worship God, we need to recognize that we're in the presence of someone greater. We're in the presence of someone greater. He is much greater than we. In our humanness, we can't even understand or grasp the greatness of God. God is God and I am not. He is king of the universe and king of my life. I am not. And can I ask you something this morning? Is God really the king of your life? Is there ever a point in time when you came to the realization, admitted that you were a sinner in need of a Savior? Have you ever believed that Jesus was God's Son, who came to earth and lived a sinless life, who went to the cross and died and paid the price for our sins, who was buried and three days later rose again? Have you ever called on Jesus to save you? Is he the king of your life? Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus? You see, we can't worship Jesus if we don't have faith in him, if we haven't put our personal faith in him. He is greater than we are. He deserves our faith. He deserves our worship. And when we come together to worship courtly, we're in the presence of someone greater. Later on in Matthew, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I am there with you also. And so as we gather here this morning... Jesus is with us. He sees us. He knows what we're thinking. He, he, he knows our attitudes when it comes to worship. He, we're in the presence of someone greater right now. But you know what? We're always in the presence of someone greater because as believers in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside us. He indwells us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We were bought at a price, so offer your bodies in service to him. And so each and every day we're in the presence of our great God. And that's a humbling thought. And we worship and honor him when we, when we serve him with our bodies. Hudson Taylor was a pioneer missionary to China. He traveled to China in 1853 at the age of 21. In 1865, he started the China Inland Mission. And by the time of his death in 1905, the China Inland Mission was an eternal international body with 825 missionaries living in all 18 provinces of China, with more than 300 mission stations, more than 500 local Chinese workers, and they saw 25,000 people come to Christ. Taylor was once in Melbourne, Australia, to speak at a church, and, and the moderator of the service introduced the missionary in eloquent and glowing terms. He told the congregation all that Taylor had accomplished in China, and then presented him as our illustrious guest. And as Taylor stood quietly for a moment and then opened his message, he said this, Dear friends, I'm a little servant of an illustrious master. What a heart of humility and worship. He understood 
that God was so much greater than he was. He understood that. And like the wise men, we need to let humility lead our lives of worship because humble hearts worship and serve the Savior. But proud hearts worship and serve ourselves. And the fifth thing and final thing the Magi teach us about worship is this. We need to plan to give gifts. Look at verse 11 again. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Worship starts with a sincere desire, develops an expectant attitude. It chooses to express joy, decides to humble yourself, and it plans to give gifts. As of today, there are only 11 shopping days left till Christmas. For those of you who are last minute, uh, let the panic begin as you try to check off everybody on your list and try to get them gifts. And I don't know about you, but have you ever got to Christmas morning and, and, uh, and you experienced Christmas gift-giving guilt? You know what I'm talking about. Say your sister gives you this, this amazing present that's really personal and, and, and really memorable, and you really enjoy it, and all of a sudden your heart drops when you realize that in your, in your rush to get everything done for Christmas, you just picked a gift for her at the checkout line at Target, and it's really not that special. Christmas gift-giving guilt. Or maybe you're at an extended family together, getting together for, for Christmas and your, your long-lost cousin Eddie, who you only see once a year, gives you a gift. And you smile and inside your heart drops realizing you didn't get him anything. And the only thing you have in your pocket is a pack of Tic Tacs that you got in your stocking and you've eaten half of them. Christmas gift-giving guilt. Well, here in our passage, we see the Magi come to Jesus and we don't know how many they were, but we know they gave him three gifts. They gave him three gifts. The adoration of the Messiah led them to action, giving gifts to Jesus. And worship always begins with adoration, but it always leads to action. The Magi's journey to Jesus, their wandering to worship the Christ child, ended in worship. They bowed before the Savior, and they presented him with gifts. And they gave him three different types of gifts. These are the the best gifts that they could bring. They, they knew that when you went to see a king, you brought him gifts. And these just weren't any old, ordinary gifts. I mean, they just didn't stop at the Dollar Tree on the corner on their way out of Jerusalem, on their way to Bethlehem. They planned ahead, and they brought some grand and costly gifts. They brought the best gifts they could find. Gold was the medal of kings. It was beautiful. It was rare. It was expensive. Maybe some of you ladies are expecting to get some gold this Christmas. Uh, frankincense was a glittering, sweet-smelling sap that was taken from the bark of rare trees. Myrrh was a fragrant spice that was used both medicinally and also as a perfume. And because gold was a royal metal and frankincense was used by the priests in the temple and myrrh was used um, to embalm dead bodies, some writers have seen some special symbolism in these three gifts. Jesus was given gold for his royalty, frankincense for his deity, and myrrh for his humanity. These men brought gifts to Jesus that cost them something. It cost them something. John Piper says this, when you give a gift to Christ, it's a way of saying, the joy that I pursue is not the hope of getting rich with things from you. I haven't come to God for things but for himself. 
By giving to you what you do not need and what I might enjoy, I'm saying more earnestly and authentically, you are my treasure, not these gifts. You are my treasure. See, giving isn't an addition to our worship. It's an element of our worship. Giving should be an expression of our worship. It should flow from a heart full of adoration and love and gratefulness. And that first Christmas, God gave us the greatest gift we could ever receive, Jesus Christ. In spite of our sinful rebellion, he came to rescue us. He came to rescue you. He came to rescue me. So how do we respond to this amazing gift? Well, first we respond in faith. We need to respond in faith. We need to put our faith and, and trust in Jesus Christ to believe who he, he said who he was. And, and then as believers, we respond in worship. We respond in worship. Our lives should be full of worshiping this great God that, that we have. And like the Magi, we need to be purposeful in giving our resources to God. We need to plan to give gifts. The Magi teach us a lot of great things about worship. So this Christmas season, don't let busyness steal the blessing of worshiping Jesus. Don't let all the other stuff crowd out your time to personally connect with your Savior, to worship Him from a grateful heart, recognizing His greatness, worshiping Him. And let's remember what we learned from the wise men. It starts with a sincere desire, develops an expectant attitude. It chooses to express joy. It humbles ourself, and it plans to give gifts. Let's worship Jesus this Christmas. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to worship you. And Lord, even as we pause here this morning and reflect maybe on this season of our lives, maybe we've been distracted. Maybe we've been caught up in all the busyness of the season and we really haven't focused on you. And Lord, my hope and prayer this morning is not to to make us feel guilty, but just to remind us to be grateful. Grateful that you are the great king who loved us so much you sent Jesus to earth that first Christmas morning as a baby on a rescue mission for you and for me. And Lord, I, I pray that That this Christmas season, while we fill our calendars full of lots of things, Lord, may we first and foremost fill our lives and our hearts with worship of you. Forgive us when we've been distracted. Forgive us when We've come before you not in expectation, but just in apathy. Forgive us when it's coming to church or reading our Bible or prayer just becomes something that we do, and it's not overflowing from a, a grateful heart desiring to worship our great God. Lord, help us to be people of worship, not just on Sundays 
not just during the Christmas season, but each and every day. Amen. Well, as we leave here this morning, the wise men have taught us five things about worship. And so as we leave and get busy with the week at hand, may we not lose focus on worshiping our Savior, the reason for this season. May our lives reflect the joy and the humility and the expectation that those wise men had. And may we truly worship our Savior this Christmas season. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great rest of your day.